The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. A good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. A hired man who is not a shepherd and whose sheep are not his own sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away and the wolf catches and scatters them. This is because he works for pay and has no concern for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know mine, and mine know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I will lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. These also I must lead, and they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock, one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have power to lay it down and power to take it up again. This command I have received from my Father. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. In the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. So yesterday I was in Nevada City, hiking the Yuba, river, South Yuba Fork of, of, the, of the river there. Because prior to coming here, I, was, uh, I helped start a young adult ministry. It's a hiking ministry. Me and another priest and a small group of us, we, we put on hikes every month or so. And we put on a couple times a year hiking, backpacking trips. And so what we'll do is we have social media, of course, that we just say, we're hiking this particular trail. It's all over. We hike all over the place. We're going to meet up this spot at this time. And we just throw out a huge invitation. Whoever comes, comes. Right? So we never quite know who's going to show up in these times. And so we were in Nevada City there. And I thought maybe, ah, 10 people, 15 people will show up. No. (laughs) Nearly 40 people from all over the diocese, all in their 20s and 30s. It was packed. I said, oh, no, you guys chose this day to come? Because if you ever hike the Yuba City, uh, this particular trail, it's it's a narrow path. There's barely enough room just for one person on the trail. So if someone's coming opposite of you, somebody has to kind of step to the side and hug and hug the posing oak that's always growing along the side of the trail. Because you literally have the cliff on one side and then a steep cliff down the other side, down to the river. So if you can imagine nearly 40 young adults hiking this trail. It was like a long mule train along, along hugging the cliff. It was beautiful to see all of them there. Because it's you know, so many young people. And they're all strangers, by the way. People drove for hours to get there. And so I was amazed. Like, why are all these young people here? All of them from all over the diocese and even outside of the diocese. And so 
part of the, our, our this ministry, we'll hike for a little bit and we'll find a place for mass and we'll have mass out there. So we found an opening along the cliff. It was kind of dangerous because <laughs> uh, if you slip, you tumble down into the raging cold ice water. <laughs> so, but we did it anyway because the only spot along the river we can do it at. And so there we were, hugging the cliff, 40 young adults in the 20s and 30s, and I was assigned to give the homily because there's, there's two priests there. And as we were getting ready for Mass, I thought, what do I tell these young people? Because they're oh, strangers. I probably knew all five of them. They're all strangers, and they're all strangers to one another as well. So what do I say to these young people as their father, as their spiritual father? What do I tell them? Because I know the stats. I, I read the studies. And I know particularly that this group is a, it's a very precarious generation because they report high rates of anxiety, depression, fear, especially during covid Young people in their 20s and 30s, I mean, it's been a rough year for everybody, but especially that younger generation, they've been hit particularly hard. But that's the unique thing about this pandemic, by the way, which separates it from other natural disasters. Say if there was an earthquake or a hurricane, that tends to unite a people because the threat is out there. Look, there's a, there's a raging fire like a wildfires for us here. There's a fire there. We got to pull together. We got to, in order to survive, we got to fight that, take care of one another. Even in war, war tends to unite a, a people because the external threat is out there. It's existential. But pandemics are different because what is the vehicle of the threat now? One another. And so all of a sudden, you become a danger to me and my family. And so it, this natural disaster fractures a community, fractures families, fractures a nation. And then on top of that, add in a contentious political campaign, which was, now the, which was used to separate us even further. And so this particular generation, now fractured in a, in a more poignant way than other generations, said, what do I say to them? As many of you know, I just came back from a retreat. And a question which was asked to us as, as, as the priest of the diocese gathered by our retreat master was a very holy monk. His name is Abbot Jeremy Driscoll. He's a, the abbot, which means he's the head monk of a monastery in Oregon. And he's a very holy, holy man. You know how you can tell when someone's holy? He's radiated holiness. I can tell this is a man of deep, profound prayer. And he was giving our retreat for the priest of the diocese that we do every year. And he asked us priests, there we now gathered as a group in Sacramento. He asked us, who are you? Who are you guys? That's kind of a weird question. We took about, what are we talking about who we are? You know who we are. We're the priests of the Diocese of Sacramento. We do mass. We run parishes. We do catechesis programs. We do this. We do that. You know who we are. Ah, uh, but he wasn't asking that question. Good thing about it, if someone were to ask, if somebody were to walk in, say a stranger from out of town walked into Loyalton, into this parish community, and asked us, all right, you Christians, who are you guys? It's kind of a weird question. 
or even on, on an individual level, somewhere to ask you, who are you? We tend to answer that question in our culture by what we do. Hence, what well, we said, we're the priests of the Diocese of Sacramento. What are you talking about? We do this, we do that, we do this. Or I'm a teacher, I'm an engineer, I'm a police officer, I'm this, I'm that. But he was trying to get us something deeper. And he said to us, how do you think the early church would have answered that question? So imagine us now, we are 2,000 years in the past. We're alive there and we see literally, there comes St. Peter walking in. (laughs) St. Peter and the other apostles are all gathered there. Imagine we're in Jerusalem in the Holy Temple and the early early church is there. Here comes St. Paul straggling in there, two right behind them. And they were all gathered there. And we were to ask them somehow, Hey, you Christians, who are you guys? How would they answer that question? And they would answer, and we see it in Acts of the Apostles and in the Gospels. If we were to ask them that question, they would say, We are witnesses. We are a community of witnesses testifying that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. That's who we are. And so with that, with that answer still echoing fresh in my mind from the retreat, now gathered with these 20s and 30-somethings, young people, and I ask them the question, who are you? Knowing how fractured and how disconnected they are in that generation. Because remember, that particular generation are surrounded by peers who no longer believe. I, mean, I quoted the stat after stat after stat to you guys. When you read the studies, as you break it down by age group, the younger you get, the less and less religious they become. And so I know that these, their friends and their family have abandoned the Lord. And that they feel utterly alone. Especially in a culture which is increasingly hostile to their faith. Not just ambivalent, but outright hostile to it. And so I told those young people now, clinging to the cliff, literally clinging to the cliff. (laughs) I said, you know who you guys are? I said, you guys are witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You are witnesses of the living, breathing Jesus. Gathered as a community together who proclaims to the world this saving teaching. That's who you are. And it's summed up in the very greeting which we now are all used to. You know, we say, of course, during this Easter season, Happy Easter. You know that word Easter, uh, I don't quite like that word Easter, to be honest. Because Easter is an old Germanic word. It's a very specific word, and it tends to mean there's various variations of the meaning of the word and the origin of it. But it means like he is risen or he's raised from the dead. It's a very specific. But harken back now to the way that older Christian communities say Happy Easter. Because they don't use the word Easter. Because remember, that's an old Germanic word. Think back into Spanish. Think about, in fact, all the Romance languages, which have Latin as their root. In Spanish, what do we say? If we're in Mexico City, beautifully hanging out there, eating a tortilla, eating burrito, a taco, 
What do we say? Feliz Pasqua. Now let's jump to Italy. Say we're hanging out in Rome one of the, in the beautiful piazza drinking a cappuccino. Easter time. What do we say to one another? Buona Pasqua. It's not Easter. The word is Easter. Buona Pasqua. Now let's jump to France. Say we're in France. We're hanging out in front of Notre Dame Cathedral there in that beautiful square right in front of there in the heart of Paris. By the way, you know the French, they stereotypically walk around town with baguettes. Do you know that? <laughs> French bread. You know French bread and baguettes? In the morning time, you'll see the French people just walking around down the street with fresh baguettes. It's hilarious. That stereotype is true. And if you're walking around with your baguette and you see another Christian down the street, they're like, oh, and what do you say? You say, forgive my French. How about if we're now in Romania? Romanian is also a Latin language. If you're hanging out in Romania, whatever they do in Romania, I don't know too much about Romania. They will say, Paste fecit. Or even my own people, my own language, my people. I come from the Philippines, of course, my family does. Evangelized by the Spanish. If we're in Manila, in downtown Manila, and we see a fellow parishioner there in Easter time, what we'll say? Malingayang Pasco. Do you see the thread? That unites it. The root word there is Pasqua, based on the Hebrew word Pasqua. What does the Paschal mystery mean? And I prefer this word than Easter because it encompasses the totality of God's saving work. Paschal, what it means is it is the suffering of Jesus. So encapsulating that word, the suffering of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the creation of the church, and the sending forth of the apostles into the world. Right there, that's summed up in that one word, right there. Pasqua, the suffering of Jesus, his death, now being raised by the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit, then, now, the sending forth of the early church into the world to be his witnesses. What the Paschal mystery draws us together as a community now is this saving truth that Jesus lives, but not just in the way he was before. No. Like we just close our eyes and we think of Jesus really hard and like, oh, wait, I see Jesus. No. The presence of Jesus Christ now is utterly new. Ask yourself, in the early church now, harking back to that thought experiment we had in the beginning. If we're in the early church, now the early apostles, what kept them together? What kept the early church together under immense external existential threats? Remember, we were being rounded up, tortured, killed, thrown into prison, all because we were saying to the world, we were proclaiming, like, power, like powerfully as St. Peter did in the first reading. He says here, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said, leaders of the people and elders, he's proclaiming the gospel to them. 
that this Jesus whom you killed is now raised up and now lives. You see, they would arrest us and they would say, we will set you free. All you got to do is deny Jesus that he's dead. None of the apostles recanted. None of them did. Even when they were being tortured, hanging upside down on a cross. Even though they would chop off our limbs. Even though they would skin us alive. Nobody in the early church there recanted. In fact, they kept going and going and going. And they said to them, this Jesus whom you've killed is now raised. You and I are witnesses of this now. But then you say, oh, Father, I'm not, I wasn't alive back then. No matter. That same powerful message 2,000 years ago, the power of the risen Lord, the power of the empty tomb, still radiates to us 2,000 years later. Oh, it is mighty impressive that we even exist. When you read the history of the Catholic Church, it is utterly profound. Not even bad popes, bad priests, emperors and kings and queens and powers. No matter what they tried to do, the church remained intact. And our message has not, never changed. This Jesus is present now. On that retreat on Wednesday evenings, the last Wednesday, the diocese and the bishop made a pretty bad mistake. He allowed me to preach to the priests. We had a penance service. We were all gathered there in the retreat center. And so I was the, I was the main preacher to them. And as I do with you, I yelled at them. Right? I was like, oh, this is my chance not to yell at the priests. Right? I said, brothers! Brothers, we are gathered around the risen Jesus because every single priest, we've all encountered the risen Lord. We've all encountered him. And that's why we're willing to become priests. But what happens? Like we all do, we sin. And it's more, and I told the brothers, I said, you know, when we sin, it is utterly more dreadful when we fall. Even more so than when our parishioners sin. And they, I can tell they're inquisitive. Like, what are we talking about? Well, because when we sin, we have no excuse. I can't say, oh, I didn't know that was a sin. We know what sins are. We've been in seminary for eight years. We've been in ministry for who knows how long. We've seen the risen Lord. And so when we sin, we have no excuses. I know every time I sin, I know full well what I'm doing. And I know it's wrong. But I choose it anyway. Why? Because I'm a weak loser, right? And I said, brothers, we have an opportunity today as witnesses of the resurrected Lord to repent. You see, after this powerful homily in the Acts of the Apostles of Peter, it said that the crowd was so moved by his preaching, they asked Peter, Peter, what must we do to be saved? What now? You know what Peter said? Two things. Repent and be baptized, all of you. Repent and be baptized. You see, all of us here, we're all baptized already. Christ now, the risen Jesus, lives within each and every single one of us. 
Somebody else asked on the retreat, and it was a very great question, because after the end of the retreat, Abbot Jeremy's opened it up to what we call spiritual conversation, just whatever, whatever you want to talk about. Just raise your hand. Let's speak together as a community gathered around the risen Lord. Let's speak from the depths of our hearts as brothers. And one of the priests asked, if all of this is true, this, this whole resurrection thing, and, and it is, he asked, why isn't the power of the resurrection more present in our daily lives? I said, oh, that's a great question. Because I just laid out to you the most important event in the entire creative universe. Why don't we experience it more? Why aren't we floating out of here? Why aren't we just, 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 just laughing and joyful at every single moment? Why is the risen Jesus so hidden? Why isn't he more obvious in our lives, especially when it's dark? And the question, the answer wasn't very satisfying. I don't know. <laughs> the Lord does whatever he wants to do. But the Lord is still powerfully present. And he says, if you want to unlock the power of the resurrection, go back to the command of Peter who echoes the response of Jesus. Because what does Jesus say? The first recorded words out of the mouth of Jesus. <clears throat> Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Peter, building off that, says to them, Acts of the Apostles, Repent, all of you, be baptized. So what does that mean? That's the answer right there. Because what hinders the power of the resurrection is our human weakness and our sins. My brothers and sisters, the reason why I'm always harping on you to go to confession is not because I need more work or because I, I want to hear your deepest, darkest secrets. No. Your sins aren't that original, by the way. Did you know that? Your sins aren't that original. We all have the same sins, all of us. It is because I want to unlock the power of the resurrection. And it will not happen until we repent. It's almost like we have all this potential living within us, but it's, but it's held back by the dam. Of our, of our sin and our pride. What breaks through that dam and that pride is when we say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. Which is why, remember a couple weeks ago, what was the first gift our Lord, our resurrected Lord left his church? We heard this reading a couple weeks ago. He says, as he appeared to them, said that he breathed on them gave them the power to hear confession. Do you see it all is all connected? We will not encounter the risen Lord until we first repent. There's no way around it. There's no way around it. We can't say, oh, I'll just ignore it and then I'll, I'll, just, I'll just be happy. No, can't. It doesn't work that way. You must first come to the healing power of confession to unlock the power of the resurrection. Otherwise, we will never become who we truly are meant to be. And I'll end here with this powerful quote from Pope Benedict XVI. Pray for him, by the way. He's frail. He's in his mid-90s now. He's a previous pope. And he's close to the threshold of his eternal reward. One of the most brilliant Christian intellects of the 20th and 21st century. His mind is utterly brilliant. 
This is what he writes on the, on the resurrection. It says, The resurrection of the Son of Man was utterly different. An entirely new form of life, no longer subject to the law of dying and becoming a, and becoming a new dimension of human existence. It's an evolutionary leap. A new possibility of human existence is attained that affects everyone and opens up a future, a new kind of future for mankind. Christ's resurrection is either a universal event or it is nothing. My fellow Christians, you and I are witnesses of this fact. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.